The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. This is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Peppy. I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right, let's get into it. This Saturday, the West Virginia Mountaineers take on the Oklahoma State Cowboys in Morgantown. The Mountaineers are three-point underdogs coming into this game, but they'll be looking for their third straight win. It won't be easy, though. The Cowboys are 7-1 and one on the year, and their only defeat was a hard-fought three-point loss to Iowa State. Being underdogs at home is familiar territory for the Mountaineers because the state of West Virginia is still buzzing about upsetting Iowa State last week. Can the Mountaineers turn this season around and knock off a ranked team at home for the second week in a row? What do you think? Um, I think it's going to be a, a close game. I mean, um, Oklahoma State's offense isn't super inspiring, um, but their defense is terrifying. So um, it's going to be a really interesting matchup. Um, and I hope West Virginia can pull off the upset. Yeah, if you look at Oklahoma State's schedule, they've, they've played some incredibly close games throughout the season. They put a beat down on Kansas last week, but that's the outlier. Seven of their eight games have been decided by 11 points or less, and five of those seven games were decided by just one possession. To me, that's encouraging because the Mountaineers have had five games this season decided by one possession as well. So they're no stranger to playing in tight ball games. That means expect a close game on Saturday, and if you ask me, that benefits the underdog, which is us, the Mountaineers. And if the Mountaineers can keep this game a seven-point game going into the fourth quarter, that crowd's going to be electric. They're going to be into it. They're going to be loud, and that may play a factor in the outcome on Saturday. Yeah, you know, kind of on the flip side of um, being the home team, you know, close games kind of end up going to the, the coach who performs better, and Right now, the person with the track record is Gundy. Um, WVU, unfortunately, hasn't been able to pull out the close victory that's kind of shown this year. But, you know, this is a good opportunity to turn around and change that narrative. So um, it's a big game for Neil Brown just to kind of show if he can outcoach one of the, I would say, top 10 or 15 coaches in college football. Yeah, for yeah. sure. It's getting me excited thinking about it. I can't wait to, to be there and cheer on the Mountaineers. So first off, we're going to start with Oklahoma State's offense first, West Virginia's defense. Uh, and when it comes to offense, Oklahoma State almost mirrors West Virginia in terms of total yards, points per game, their down percentage. So uh, it's going to be an interesting matchup at quarterback. The Cowboys have junior Spencer Sanders. Uh, he's a third-year starter, and although he's had a rough start to the season, he's had five of his 11 passing touchdowns in just the last two games. So he seems to be getting hot at the right time for Oklahoma State. And uh, his most dangerous weapon are his legs. He has four rushing touchdowns on the year, and he has at least one run of 10 yards or more in every single game this season. So he's definitely capable of breaking off a big run on Saturday. Now, West Virginia has done a nice job of containing scrambling quarterbacks so far this year. Purdy had some nice runs last week, uh, but I think the Mountaineer defense has contained running quarterbacks for the most part. What are your thoughts on Spencer Sanders? Yeah, I mean, you made a good point about him turning it around the past few games. During his first 
four games, he had seven touchdowns to four interceptions. But in the past three games, which has been some tough games, eight total touchdowns with one interception. So, um, you know, that that turnaround in turnovers is a big deal. Um, you know, I do think his legs are his best weapon. Um, you know, I definitely think he has a better arm than um, the Virginia Tech quarterback. His his name escapes me, Burmeister, I think. Burmeister. Um, a little bit of a – it's a little bit of a change of pace there, but we did a good job against him. Um, against Purdy, I think we were afraid more of his arm, um, so we let him run a little bit more, where against Bohannon, we were afraid more, maybe more against his legs, and he threw all over us. So uh, I'm hoping um, that Sanders' arm isn't as good as what Bohannon's was. Um, and from the numbers, looking at it, only a 59% completion percentage, even though he is turning the ball over less, the low volume that he throws at, um, only 7.7 yards per attempt, 240 yards per game. Um, you know, he doesn't seem like a Bohannon type. So that kind of fear of going into the first half and coming out down 28 to whatever it was, 10, um, you know, I, I think that's a little bit less. And I don't think that's Gundy's kind of game plan either is to force Spencer Sanders to throw them into a win. But we'll see. No, it doesn't seem to be uh, uh, looking at the past games. That's not their M.O. But uh, if he does have a good day throwing the ball, it looks like fifth-year senior Tay Martin seems to be the go-to guy at wide receiver. He had some nice performances on the year, totaling over 500 yards and four touchdowns. And it's important to note that he missed two games as well. So that stat line would be more impressive if if he's been healthy all year. So that's definitely an interesting matchup against our cornerbacks. Yeah, um, for, go for ahead. Martin too, um, I have him down um, because, like you said, he is the leading receiver, but he has 15 yards per catch, and he primarily li- lines up in the slot, but he's a big slot receiver. I think he's like 6'3", about 190 pounds. So that's a matchup that I think we're going to end up seeing Sean Mahone or Jackie Matthews go up against. Um, Mahone, not one of our better cover guys, but Jackie Matthews, has been very good this year in coverage. And he had that great game last week against Kolar. Um, so, you know, maybe he can keep him contained, but, you know, he is definitely someone to watch, especially coming out of the slot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, even like you were hinting at earlier, um, it seems like the guy who will be doing the bulk of the heavy lifting on offense will be Jalen Warren. Uh, the senior has 850 total rushing yards with six touchdowns. If you look at his stat line this year, Oklahoma State is not afraid to give this kid the ball 30-plus times in a single game. They lean heavily on him to produce. Even looking at the Baylor game, he only averaged 3.5 yards per carry, and they still gave him 36 handoffs. So expect a run-heavy game plan for the Cowboys on Saturday. And uh, can the West Virginia defense slow Jalen Warren down in Morgantown? What do you think? Yeah, um, I think it's going to be interesting because, you know, he doesn't win with explos- explosiveness. He is an athletic player, but he, he just wins with wearing you down like a, a NFL running back does. Um, so that's going to be really interesting. Um, you know, and they do run the ball a lot. Um, they run the ball 63% of the time, which is higher than what Iowa State did, um, which is, I believe, higher than what West Virginia does. And it has to be one of the higher numbers in the, in the country. Um, that's crazy. 63% to 37% pass. But, um, you know, Warren is someone you have to contain. And, you know, it's really going to come down to the battle in the trenches. And that's kind of where, you know, one thing that I looked at. And um, on the O-line versus D-line matchup, it's interesting that 
they're again similar to WVU where their strength is in the middle. Um, their two best interior offensive linemen are their guards. Um, there's a familiar face there in Josh Sills, who played for WVU. Um, so he is their starting left guard. But on the end, uh, on the tackles with Birmingham and Springfield, they're not as good. Those are their two lowest graded offensive linemen. So that might be two areas that we can exploit and kind of keep them hemmed into the middle. Um, and then again at center, similar to the matchup that we had last week against Iowa State, um, their center isn't that great. Um, so again, maybe Mesador can go in there and win the line of scrimmage and make um, Jalen even less effective. Yeah, looking at, um, I forget the exact stats I was looking at, but they allow a lot of uh, people in the backfield when they're on offense. And so that's encouraging for me because I feel like if we can get them into third and long situations, I really like our chances there. Um, so hopefully that's something our defense can take advantage of. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, they are a team who likes to run the ball a lot, just to kind of reiterate it over and over again. But, you know, on first down, similar to what we talked about last week, they run the ball 67% of the time, second down 60% of the time. The only time where they're at 50-50 on run versus pass is on third down. But if it's a third and short, they're running the ball 74% of the time on third and short. So, you know, th this just kind of goes to show that they don't want to pass the ball unless they absolutely have to. So it's going to be super important for – our defensive line to win and get penetration, like you said, and our, you know, linebackers to, to fill efficiently and quickly, um, you know, that their running back isn't someone who seems to tire easily. So he's going to just keep pounding at you and you can't get tired. And you can't make mistakes because if he's going to get four yards every time, that's the first down every three plays. So you got to keep them hemmed in, you know, hold them to two, three yard gains instead of those four or five yard gains. Yeah, um, the, the more and more I was looking at this, it's almost like we are playing the same exact team again this week. I mean, they run heavy, they play tough defense, and, uh, you know, we were successful last week on, on both sides of the ball, so that's encouraging. But uh, the only thing I would be concerned about is, is maybe our team is, is already beat up from last week, but I don't think that'll be the case. The one thing that I thought was encouraging that, um, was different from Iowa State is that they own that uh, Oklahoma State only scores on 78% of their red zone percentages, where Iowa State was at 95%. Um, I think TCU is at 100% when we played them. So, you know, this is a team that if they drive down the field, it's going to be a little bit easier, I think, to hold them to field goals. Um, so that's a good thing because, you know, if we can hold them to field goals, that's a game that we can potentially win. We have one of the best kickers in the nation, so it's easy to tie that up. And if we can get a touchdown, you know, that's obviously the icing on the cake. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I have this in my good, bad, and wish later on. But my biggest thing is uh, we just don't get down early because this seems to be a team that will feast on that. If you if you allow them to get 10, 14-point leads on you early, that's playing right into their game plan. And uh, the other thing will be is to just take care of the football because their turnovers are even on the year. It's not like they're winning the turnover battle most of the time. And um, shockingly, their their time of possession's nearly even with their opponents as well. You would think with a team that uh, likes to run a lot, play tough defense, that time of possession would, would really be in their favor. But for the year, it, it's almost dead even. Yeah, and they average um, – so on the season, they average about 13 possessions per game. Um, and on those games, they average three touchdowns and two field goals. So I guess, you know, the number WVU needs to look to beat would be 
you know, 21 plus six, 27 points. So um, if WVU's defense can save a touchdown, then you're looking at only having to score 21 points. I think that's a doable number. But, you know, before we talk about Oklahoma State's defense, they're they're great. They're elite, it looks like, across the board, even better than Iowa State is. And it's a really terrifying unit. It is. In fact, I'm ready to talk about it. You got anything else for Iowa, or sorry, Oklahoma State's offense? No, I'm ready for the defense. Let's do it. O- Oklahoma State's defense, you're right. It is terrifying on paper. So for the second week in a row, West Virginia is facing a tough defense. Oklahoma State's defensive numbers are scary on paper. They rank top 15 in scoring defense, total defense, and rushing defense. Shout out to Charleston Gazette's Ryan Pritt for those numbers. They also have 22 sacks on the year. They forced 10 turnovers, and the Cowboys only allow their opponents to convert 26% of the time on third down. That is a crazy number. The Mountaineer offense, they looked good last week versus a, versus a stingy defense. So how do you think they'll perform this week? Oh, man, it's uh, it's scary. I, I, I was looking for a hole um, in their defense, and it's just really hard to find one. So I, I guess we can start out with the uh, – the past defense, because um, that's where we were successful last week, they're only allowing a 49% completion percentage on the season. They've intercepted the ball more times than they've allowed touchdown passes. Seven interceptions to six touchdowns. Um, they do allow 61% completion percentage um, on about 215 attempts in between the 20s. But even though they're allowing a 61% completion percentage, they've only allowed two touchdowns and six interceptions in between the 20s. So they're not going to give up the big play. They're going to pick you off, and they're going to force you to get sacked. They're going to force you to make mistakes. Um, And then the most terrifying stat, as if those other ones weren't scary enough, of those 22 sacks, they have 12 players with one sack, seven players with more than one. So it's not like you can stick a tight end in there and double someone who's going to beat you. They're coming from everywhere, and they're going to beat you with every one. So... um, it's hard to game plan for that. I mean, what are you to do? You just got to play smart, play fast, and get the ball out of your hand and, you know, make sure the guy's open before you make a mistake. Don't rush things. Um, just terrifying. <laughs> yeah, that actually plays right into the thing I have next. Looking at the individual stats on defense, nobody really jumps off the screen like a Will McDonald from Iowa State last week. And that's a compliment. That's a testament to their defense. That means they are dominant due to a collective team effort. Um, They have senior Colby Harville Peel in the secondary. They have Colin, or sorry, Colin Oliver, Devin Harper, and Brock Martin up front that get in the backfield a lot. But uh, like we said, this seems to be a solid defense from top to bottom, and they all get on the stat sheet. Yeah, definitely. And on the run defense, it's not much better. Um, They allow 2.9 yards per rush, um, only 93.9 yards per game. Um, And then on first and second down, it's not much better, 3.2 yards per carry. Um, They do have 57 tackles for a loss. Um, A little bit different than with the sacks. You have Colin Oliver, who you alluded to, with seven and a half tackles for a loss. Malcolm Rodriguez with seven and a half. Brock Martin with five and a half. Tyler Lacey with five and a half. And then you have seven other players on top of those four with two or more tackles for a loss. So again, like you said, it is a a team effort and they get after it. 
Um, the one thing that I thought was pretty crazy too is that on third downs, guess how many yards they've allowed for the entire season? The entire season? Oh man, I, I wouldn't even have a guess. I, I, if I remember right, I think it was negative thirty-one. What? Yeah, <laughs> negative like point one three. I think it was what it was. Average yards per carry on third down, they're allowing. That's incredible. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It, this defense <laughs> is just um, on another level. I don't think I've – I haven't looked at enough defense to see if that's anyone else is even close to matching that, but it's just incredible about how good this team is. So um, last week I felt good about WV passing against Iowa State secondary. I thought that was the way to win, um, especially with their pass rush. But this year, I mean, even looking at Iowa State secondary, um, they had everyone except for one guy – is graded out as an above average or better coverage player per PFF. Um, really the only hole in their defense is their um, slot corner slash safety, Tanner McAllister. Um, so maybe that's something you can abuse a little bit with Sam James and Winston Wright. But other than that, I mean, their defense is just solid across the board. Yeah. The yeah. Only, I was really trying to comb through all their, their previous games and, and find something that, we could hang on to. And the only thing I could really find was that Brock Purdy had a nice game um, w- when they defeated Oklahoma state, they, they passed the ball very well. So, I mean, I guess that's encouraging because although we said uh, Sanders has been getting hot these past two games, um, you know, they, they, they put a beat down on Kansas, but I'm guessing that's not anything to really brag about. And Oklahoma State was able to move the ball a lot through the air. So um, that seems to be our specialty this year is is putting up big passing numbers. So hopefully they're still trending downwards when it comes to pass defense. But, uh, yeah, you're right. It's hard to find a lot of holes. Yeah, I don't think that any of their cornerbacks really great as kind of a shutdown guy. So, I mean, that's a saving grace. But that you still have to get the ball out quick against this defense. So they're going to bring it. Um, they're linebackers. They play two of them that are both really good. Um, Rodriguez, who I alluded to before, is actually a semifinalist for the Butkus Award, um, about an 85 PFF grade. Um, you know, on the defensive line, really the only area you can attack is their right side against the run. Um, that's actually where their two lowest graded offensive linemen are. Um, and that's actually where our two best run blocking offensive linemen are. So maybe that's an area that we can exploit with some more of those counters and dives and um outside zones like we were running against Iowa State so um it's going to be interesting and, and another interesting thing too with the development of the RPO that we are amount that we were running the RPO last week is that something that could take away some of that aggressiveness I mean that's exactly what it's built for for those super aggressive teams getting the ball out quick if they're coming in too quick or if they're playing too far back running it up the middle and taking advantage of that so um it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out and how Oklahoma State would adjust to that as well yeah, one thing I hope we don't fall into a, the trap of is giving up on the run game completely, which seems to be something WVU did a lot early in the season. But they've been great about these last few games that they, they're going to you know, keep running the ball, whether it's working or not, because that does open up the pass game so much. So I hope there's not very many drives where we just go out there and sling it three straight times, and then more than likely we're going to go three and out if, if that's our game plan. So I hope they uh, keep using Letty just to put Daggy in manageable third down situations. Because like you said, this defense is going to bring it. 
And if you just try to, if you fall into that trap of just throw, 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 um, those corners are going to start jumping on those quick routes because, you know, Deggie's not going to have a lot of time. Right, yeah. And I think the game plan that we ran against Iowa State is something to kind of mimic for this game just because of that aggressiveness, um, the penetration that they get. You know, those counters and those, you know, pulling guard plays and pulling tight end plays and lead blockers, um, things like that, it opens up the passing game because, you know, the defense has to hesitate to kind of figure out what's going on. Same with the RPOs. So um, I'm really hoping we, we lean on those pretty heavily um, and take our shots, you know, smart. Um, we don't try to do it too much. Um, just take it what the defense gives us. But, you know, we need to get first downs. We need to stay out of third down. Um, so we can't play first down so that we're playing towards third down because their third down defense is incredible. I think they're only allowing like 25% conversion percentage on third down, um, which is, I think, top three in the nation. Um, so yeah, you, you, you want to convert on first and second, you kind of want to speed them up a little bit, I think too, um, go some no huddle, um, and you know, see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, you ready to get into the special notes? Uh, one more point that I just realized I forgot to mention is that despite their defense being as crazy good as they are, um, Oklahoma state is allowing teams to score on 85% of their red zone possessions. Um, which I thought was interesting because, you know, in the red zone, they're only allowing like, I think it's like 1.8 yards per carry and a 30% completion percentage, 37% completion percentage. So I'm not exactly sure how people are scoring touchdowns. Um, I don't know if they're a team that create, you know, makes a lot of penalties and stuff in the red zone. That's not something I dug into, but you know, when you're rushing two yards per carry and only completing 38% of your passes, in the red zone, that usually doesn't mean teams are going to score at a high clip, but teams are 85%, and those could be field goals too. So, um, but still, you know, field goals are going to be important in this game. We're going to have to hit them. We can't have any blocks or anything like that because points are going to come at a premium on Saturday. Yeah, I did notice that that their their offensive red zone and defensive red zone was around 85% on both sides of the ball. Um, of course, you know they're they've had like 14 more red zone trips than they've allowed as well but um you're right if we get down there we do have to get points which will be interesting as well because neil brown has been very aggressive lately so i wouldn't be shocked if a fourth and one came up in the red zone if he went for it so um his decision making will definitely be a big factor as well and i'm not saying that's good or bad i mean who knows if if you know what they always say if it works you look like a genius if if it doesn't, everyone's questioning you the next day. So yeah, it'll be I, interesting to see how he uh, handles those situations. Yeah, and I, I think at home, um, being the underdog, I think it's completely okay to go for it. I mean, if you screw up, you're playing with house money. I mean, you're expected to lose. The fans are going to be behind you on defense. So, you know, take some chances. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know you have a lot of special notes, so I'll, I'll let you take this one over. Sure. Yeah. So um, Neil Brown, I think it was on his radio show today, made some interesting quotes about uh, Akeem Mesador and Jared Deggie. So uh, I'm just going to read through those real quick. Um, so first on Mesador, he said next year he will probably move to the edge. Um, so that means no more of him at nose tackle, defense tackle, kind of what he's playing now, which I think is, is good because Mesador was uh, putting up much more 
um, bigger stats whenever he was on the edge. Um, now, him playing at the nose, he's disrupting things without making stats. But moving him to the edge, I think, is a good move because he has a good build. He can play there. He's athletic enough. And he's going to get some sacks and tackles for a loss. So if he does move back to edge next year, um, how do you think that will go for him? I'm with you. I, I like him better on the edge. I thought he had more in, impactful plays um, on the edge last year. And then again, like you said, I mean, that's just the the nature of being a, a defensive tackle. Typically, you don't show up in the stat sheet, but of course, you're making big impact. But um, as long as they have someone who can fill up the middle, I, I'm totally okay with that because I think he is an impact player. He's a special kid for sure. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, that would get open up a spot, too, for uh, Jefferson because he's a big boy and he's athletic. Um, you know, when he comes on the field now, he does some pretty good things. There's just not enough not enough positions he can play right now on the defensive line. Um, so the second one was about Jared Deggy returning. So, um, you know, they were asking him, since Deggy does have one more remaining year of eligibility, on if he would think Deggy should return. So, um Brown kind of was non-committal. He said, I'm just worried about it about this week. We will be worried about those things when the season is over, along with all the other guys with remaining eligibility. So um, do you think that if Deggy wants to come back, that Brown will welcome him back or he will petition Deggy to come back? Or do you think that uh, Brown might be leaning towards one of the new guys taking over the job next year? So I, I think he answered it the right way. I mean, um, as a head coach, you don't want to have to be talking about stuff like this with this many games left. So I have no problem with the way he answered it. Uh, we know Coach Brown, though. If Deggie wants to come back, he's not going to discourage it. Um, but uh, we touched on this Tuesday. As of right now, I would like us to go younger next year and, and see what we got moving forward. Um, you know, those young guys could make us regret that decision this time next year. So who knows? Um, and I also said on Tuesday that Deggy could change my mind, right? As of right now, he's had two fantastic games back to back. And who knows if he ends the year with six straight great games. I mean, I'm open to, ch to changing my opinion, but as of right now, I would like one of the younger guys to get a chance. Oh yeah. And I have a feeling if we would pull off, pull off an upset this Saturday, it's going to be tough. But if we do that and Deggy has a good showing and he does it back-to-back -back against Iowa State and Oklahoma State, two teams we haven't beaten in a couple of years, um, I think teams are, or players are going to turn around – or not players, but uh, fans are going to turn around and start clamoring for Deggy to come back. That's just kind of how the things usually flow with uh, WVU fans. So moving off of football real quick, on to basketball since the season starts next week. Um, one of the things they've been doing the past couple of years is a Big 12 anonymous player poll, and some West Virginia references were, were noted. So um, kind of to my surprise, the first per the hot, the person who got the most votes on hardest player to guard was Taz Sherman. Um, I thought Taz was had potential to become an elite scorer. I mean, last year he was kind of hot and cold. He'd have some games where he would go off. But um, – McNeil seemed to be the guy who was getting scorching hot. I mean, put just going absolutely nuclear some games. So I was kind of surprised that Taz got that. Not that I was expecting McNeil to get it, but um, with all the talent in the Big 12. So uh, what do you think of that? 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, that doesn't shock me too much. Sean McNeil, he he does have the ability to score off the dribble, but he's more of a catch-and-release type of guy. And so, whereas Taz, once he gets the ball, you don't know what he's going to do. He might fire it up quick. He might put a move on you. So I could see that being more memorable for defensive players. You know, it's it's more memorable if someone puts a move on you and embarrasses you and then scores at the bucket than if, you know, your opponent just catches and shoots a lot. That's true. And I was also kind of surprised that, you know, I, I haven't dug into the college basketball uh, Big 12 yet um, to see who all's coming back. But I, I'm surprised that there's not someone on, you know, Kansas or uh, Texas or anything like that 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 would rank up there. I know we lost a lot of talent to the draft with Deuce and um, the the player from Texas Tech. I'm blanket McClung, Mac McClung, um, and Texas lost several players. So it might just be he's one of the few guys coming back who, who's an established scorer. But um, the next question that they were asked was hardest player to score against. And Gabe Osaboyan finished third, which I think is pretty fair for him. He's He's super long and he's always been a really strong defender when he's not fouling. So uh, do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, of course. Uh, honestly, I'm shocked he wasn't first or second. Do you remember off the top of your head who was, who beat him? No, I didn't uh, read through that. I was just looking at the WVU guys, so I'd have to dig into that. But uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Um, as Derek Culver said, when we were interviewing him, he just never stops, even in practice. I mean, players like that, they're, they're just annoying if, if you got the ball in your hand because – there's never a play where they let up. And so, yeah, that doesn't shock me at all. He's a tough kid. And then the last one, which um, I think is pretty pretty good, is um, who was the coach you most like to play for? And Huggins was tied for fifth. I believe he was behind Self, Drew, um, the new coach for Texas Tech, um, Beard. And I think that's the four he was behind. So, um those are all good names to be behind. I mean, it's kind of hard to top some of those guys, especially with the reputation itself and Beard and Drew have now that they have national titles. So, um, you know, and, and hugs can be a little abrasive. So do you agree with that, you know, fifth is good? Or do you think he'd be lower? <laughs> yeah, I mean, after, after you said the names, I thought, you know, those are some very, very good coaches. So I could see that. Um, Hugs is the type of guy that, you know, if you just see him on TV, you, you might not think, oh, I want to go play for that guy. But I think his track record speaks for itself. Once you have played for him, everyone loves the guy. So, um, fifth seems low, but yeah, I mean, those guys have national championships. So, um, you know, I could see why he's ranked that low, but anyone who's played for him loves the way he coaches. So, um, When's he going to get into the Hall of Fame? That's what I want to know. He gets snubbed every year for that. It's getting ridiculous. I mean, I understand he doesn't have a national title, but, you know, what power five schools has he coached at? He coached at Cincinnati for a while. They weren't a big school. Kansas State for a year, then WVU. I mean, everywhere else was at a small school. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what opportunities are there? And he's been to the Final Four several times. I think he definitely deserves it. I mean, you don't get to 900 wins by locking into it or – you know, just doing it on volume. I mean, you can coach for 50 years and not get 900 wins. So it's just baffling to me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. And uh, the fact that it's coming up a lot with Jay Billis and some other big personalities that get a lot of attention, I feel like it's going to happen sooner than later. I'm hoping so. It's, it just seems like every year we hear about it and every year we have to wait again. So um, I'm hoping this is the year, but 
not hold my breath either because some of these old timey people seem to not appreciate people without a, a ring, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. with you. I only have one special note today and it's the same thing we talked about on Tuesday. I just want to encourage everyone to show up on Saturday. I know some people had to miss the Iowa state game to spend time with their kids and go trick or treating, but this week is very special. WVU is um, honoring the military and will be retiring. Major Harris is not number nine. So if you have tickets, please show up to the game, make it loud and uh, let's root on our Mountaineers. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, as long as the game's close, the game's going to, it's going to be rocking. Um, it's a big opportunity. And then that win last week is going to draw more people in. And as the weather gets colder, the games get tougher, more hard nosed. And that's WV's brand of football. So it's going to be fun. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. So we got, uh, we're bringing back the segment from last week. We got the two minute drill where I asked Brandon some quick questions and he just gives me his thoughts. Um, only five this week. The first one, does WVU score over 30 points two weeks in a row? No. No? No. I mean, we talked about Oklahoma State's defense enough. They're not scoring 30. If they score 30 against them, then we're going to win out and finish, what, eight and four. So those are going to be my two cards. You can record this snippet, put it all over the internet. If they score over 30 today, they're, they're winning out too. Yeah, honestly, when I was really thinking about it, I could see WVU scoring somewhere between 24 and 31 points and winning. Um, I I feel like if they get in that range, they can win this game. But yeah, 30 points back-to-back weeks against these two defenses is going to be tough. Next one, who emerges as West Virginia's most valuable offensive player this game? Oh, that's a good one. I think with the way that Winston Wright's been playing, I think he definitely deserves consideration. I mean, the beginning of the season, you know, he was keeping the scoring afloat with his kick returns. Um, After that, you know, he's been a super valuable receiver. He's been probably our most consistent deep threat. He's been our most consistent short threat. Um, Doesn't quite rule the middle of the field, but he's also, you know, 5'10", 170 pounds. So, you know, you can't blame him if he doesn't want to catch a lot of passes there. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think he's the guy. Yeah, I, I think that's the good candidate for sure. Next one, we're going to switch to the other side of the football. Oklahoma State has allowed 12 sacks so far this year. So chances are the Mountaineers are registering a sack. Who will lead the team in sacks on Saturday? Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to go with Stills. He's been on a tear recently. I think he's had a sack in the past four or five games. I, I need to look at that because it's definitely been a streak. Um and, you know, while other people are generating pressures, still is finishing. And that's the most important thing when you're a pass rusher um, is finishing. You know, you can put pressure on the quarterback and that's great. But if you can finish it, it ends the play altogether. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, if someone asked me, that's probably who I would have picked as well. Can West Virginia's defense hold Oklahoma State to 20 or less points? Yeah, I think so. I think their offense isn't, you know, explosive. Um, I don't think they're particularly scary you just have to play smart um you know you you have to win the line of scrimmage and i think we have the guys to do that so um you know i think holding them to 17 points is a doable thing now if we score over 17 is a completely separate question but um yeah we'll see how it goes and finally does west virginia win on saturday oh man 
that's putting me on the spot. I don't know. Uh, I'm thinking, I mean, I feel good about it just because the way the two teams match up, um, you know, in games like this, I think you kind of lean towards the coach. And unfortunately, I'd have to lean, lean towards Gundy. I mean, he's just done it year and year again. Doesn't matter who he has on his team. He knows how to win games. Um, so I would have to pick Oklahoma State in this game. But I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think it's going to be close. Um, and, you know, if I had to choose a percentage of who wins out of 10 tries, I would say, you know, 60% of the time Oklahoma State wins. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Honestly, before I started doing research for this, I didn't think West Virginia was going to win this ball game. But the more and more I do research, I, I think it's going to be a uh, one possession game going into the fourth quarter. And honestly, I think being at home, the crowd noise, I, I feel like that might be the edge that West Virginia needs to, to take the lead and win this game. Plus, I like the way our, our passing attack worked against the tough defense last week. And I feel like we could uh, possibly have the edge there once again this week. Yeah. And I think too, with it being a home game and especially after the Iowa state win, I'm really hoping the stadium fills up more. I know watching at home from T on TV um, against the Iowa state, you know, cyclones is the stadium seemed empty, especially the student section against a ranked team. I know whenever I was in college at WVU, if it was a ranked game. You were there and you stayed there till, you know, someone was getting blown out or the game was over. So um, it was just kind of disappointing to see that the interest had fallen that much. I'm really hoping that that Iowa State win brings more, especially with a what top 15 team coming back into the stadium mm -hmm. um, and a good chance to win. So really want to have a good turnout, not only just from the fans, but from the students, because we need as much noise as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think they will show up. So let's get into the good, the bad, the wish. My good is Oklahoma State's offense allows people in the backfield a lot. We talked about that. So I'm going to be looking for big days from Dante Stills, Akeem Mesador, and possibly Jared Bartlett getting in there and disrupting a lot as well. My bad. Uh, it'll be if we give Oklahoma State an early lead. This is a team that will feast off of that. We need to play smart and not pressure early in the ball game. If we are down by three to seven points, just keep doing the game plan. Don't be trying to do too much. And um, uh, Jared Dagey in the offense needs to take care of the football and make smart decisions, especially early in this ball game. My wish, I hope the Mountaineers can pull off back-to-back -back upsets at home. If they make this a close game going into the fourth quarter, I really like their chances. This is an opportunity to silence the critics and for Neil Brown to win over some skeptical fans. So I hope to see a Mountaineer win on Saturday in Morgantown. Cue the country roads, baby. Let's see if oh, we can yeah, do it. Let's go. <laughs> um, my good is it's going to be a home game. Ranked team. In Morgantown, colder weather. We already talked about it several times, but I mean, you couldn't ask for a better scenario. You're coming off a big win. You have one of the best crowds in all of college football at your back. I mean, that's all you need. I mean, that's all you need to pull an off upset off like this. Um, my bad is that I'm not sure, you know, despite how good our offense was last year, or not last year, but last week, you know, how we're going to hold up against this defense just because there's not that many holes. And our receivers are really just going to have to win one-on-one -on -one matchups. Our game plan is going to have to be on point. Um, we're going to have to avoid third downs like the plague. And we're going to have to move the ball downfield, you know, little bit by little bit. 
Um, so it's a scary matchup. I'm, I'm more scared of this matchup than I was against Iowa State. And kind of tying into that, my wish is that I hope the defense holds up because we saw at the beginning of the season where the offense was going three and out. They tired out. We don't rotate a lot of guys. We're rotating a little bit more now. But, you know, if the defense starts wearing out, that's how Oklahoma State's going to, you know, beat you, especially with Warren. We talked about him earlier receiving 30 yard, thirty carries a game and at times. Um, he's a workhorse. And if you start getting tired, that's when he's going to gash you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, so, yeah, just all this talk. I wish the game was right now. I'm ready to watch it. Um Hopefully we get a win and we will be talking to you guys again next week. So for, do you want to plug anything before we wrap oh, up? That's right. Yeah. So, um, you know, make sure you go on our socials, our Twitter, our Facebook, um, give us a like, give us a follow. Um, and if you ever want to donate, the link is in our description for our podcast. Um, don't feel obliged to, but you can always feel free to donate a dollar, five dollars, however much you feel like we deserve. Um, if you feel like we don't deserve anything, then, uh, you can also shoot us a note to tell us what we can do better. So um, we appreciate you listening and um, we hope to catch you the next episode. Yeah, we always encourage feedback and we appreciate you guys for tuning in. So for the Voice of Motown podcast, I'm Tyler Peppy. I'm Brandon Cork and thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, guys.